All right, guys, we're, we're in route to, I'm going to jump right in because it's the whole chapter. Um, this is God's word to you. This is living and active and breathing. And so uh, give your attention to God's word from Ruth 2, the whole chapter. Now, Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him, in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she, she went out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man who has charge over the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who is in charge of the reapers answered, She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves and the reapers. So she came, and she has continued from early morning until now except for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes, that you should take notice of me, since I'm a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how... You left your father and your mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants." And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers, and he passed to her roasted grain, and she ate until she was satisfied, and she had some left over. And when she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean among the sheaves, and do not reproach her, and also pull out some of the bundles for her and leave it for her to glean, and do not rebuke her. And so she gleaned in the field until evening, and then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about half an ephah of barley. And she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned, and she also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, Where do you glean today, and where have you worked? Blessed is the man who took notice of you. And so she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, This man's with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, The man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, Besides, he said to me, You shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with this young man, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the evening of the barley and the wheat harvest, and she lived with her mother-in-law. 
That's God's word to you this morning. It's our practice here to spend some moments in silence. And what we're doing in that moment and in this space together is that we're asking for God to reveal himself to us in ways that are new and fresh. That's exactly what happened with Naomi. You know, she was uh, of the people of God and she was bitter. And she came into a deeper awareness of who God was, the gospel, um, even as a person of God. And so uh, regardless, if you feel like you are unfamiliar with this church thing or if you feel like you are very familiar with it, we all need the same thing. We all need God's steadfast love to be poured into our hearts like it was on little Olivia. And so let's, let's ask for that as we uh, look at this text. Father, Son, and Spirit, you uh, were here before we entered this space. Your Spirit hovers over all, controls all, and through your Spirit uh, flow eternal life. And we ask that we would get into the current of that goodness. Um, We see it here in this text. We see it um, at baptisms. We uh, sense that it could be true for us, for all of us. And so, Lord, by your Spirit, teach us that Jesus is where it's at. Jesus is who Boaz and Ruth point to, and Jesus is where we find not only security, but the the deep thing that we most need to be favored in your eyes, for you to look on us and for you to be satisfied, to be known by you. And so would you do that right now in uh, small ways and in ways that are very, uh, very powerful in Christ's name. Amen. So the, the favor of God is the biblical teaching of what we're all after, that we desire for our creator to, to look on us and to be pleased. And if we don't get that on the divine level, we will search for it everywhere. The tricky thing about uh, how God works is that we oftentimes come into the awareness of that through community and through relationship in a, in a similar way that Justin said he came into the deeper awareness of the gospel, even as a Christian, through a sermon, through, through Tim Keller. Um, in each of our lives, God has placed you in the lives of other people and other people in the lives of you to reteach you what he's like. And that's a daily thing. And in our, in our passage here, it's, you can't miss it. That word for favor is used uh, many times in verses 2 10 and 13, but that word can also be translated grace. That uh, grace is something that you get when you really need a break. Grace is something that you get that's, un- that's undeserved. These women needed a break. Ruth and Naomi, they needed a break and they caught one in, Bo- in Boaz. One of my favorite authors is a lady named Marilyn Robinson. And Marilyn Robinson wrote a book of essays called The Givenness of Things. And in those essays, she basically talks about how John Calvin's view of grace informs all of her stories and informs all of the ways that she sees life. And she says it's about undeserved things that we just take for granted that God provides for us. And his provision is uh, uh, just so, so very generous that it almost feels given. But when when we think through our lives at its base, what we come to realize when we see stories like this is that God has been literally pouring out his favor upon us 
at all times, and we have a hard time noticing it. And so I want to look at that today, how God provides, and through his provision, he transforms us and communities. So how does his provision lead to transformation? There are three uh, characters, and three main characters in our chapter, Ruth, Boaz, and Naomi. And there's sort of this other fourth character, which is the country of Moab. If you notice, uh, it says that she was a Moabite many, many times in verses 2, 6, 10, and 21. And Moab and Israel, they had, they had bad blood with one another. It was, it was different than Iowa and Nebraska. And um, the, the reason why it was different was that back in the day, when you put a, a hex on somebody or you wanted to do away with a country or do away with a person, you would hire a holy person, like a priest, and that priest would curse a, a people or a, a person so that that person could be gotten rid of. Well, Moab hired this priest named Balaam to curse Israel, to stand on this mountain, to look down on Israel and to curse them. And what happened was that every time he got up to curse the people of Israel, nothing but blessing came out of his mouth from God, the God of Israel. And at one point in, in Numbers 24, um, when he's told to curse, <laughs> it's kind of it's comical because uh, Balaam gets up there and he's looking down at Israel and he says, Oh, Israel, you're like a bunch of palm trees. You're like this beautiful star. And later on in Israel's history, God explains what's happening there. He says, you know, Moab, Moab tried to curse you, but I turned that curse into a blessing. And therefore, I don't want you to associate with Moab for 10 generations. Don't even mess with them. And this story, Ruth, it it wants to highlight the fact that she's a Moabite, that she's an outsider, that she doesn't deserve to come into God's favor, and that's exactly what's happening. So that's, you fast forward into the life of Ruth and Boaz, her ethnicity is highlighted, and everyone sees it, and Boaz, what he's doing is that he's acting like God to Ruth as she comes into his his field and comes into his protection. Um. In verse 10 and 11, many commentators think that this is the focal point of the chapter where Ruth says, Why have have I found favor in your eyes as a foreigner? And Boaz says, All that you have done from your mother-in-law's, from from your husband's death to you taking care of your mother-in-law has been told to me, and how you left your own people in your native land and came to a people that you did not know. And what every commentator says is that that's the exact phrase that's used about Abraham, and how Israel came into formation. And most commentators say that Bo, when he hears that, Boaz is thinking, this is who I am. I'm like her. And I'm realizing more of, of my relationship with God as this outsider comes into the people of God. And Boaz immediately recognizes that I want to show her grace. I want to show her favor. And the beautiful thing about this story is that when two people are controlled by this covenant love, this grace, this amazing thing happens. Uh, It begins to transform everything. An eternal community is actually being born in this story as Ruth meets Boaz, but it all started with this foreigner 
who came into the field of Boaz, and Boaz attentively responded to her like God responded to him. And so I want you to think about something for, for a moment, and that's sort of the background of this story. You know, oftentimes, if, if we have been, have been married or we have been in relationships that are romantic, if I ask you this question, that's kind of what immediately comes to mind. But is there somebody that you have met that from the moment they entered your life, it just t- it totally changed the course of the trajectory of where you were going, what you were doing? Um, this is... This is what's happening with Ruth and Boaz, and God is weaving their stories together. And remember, Ruth, our, our series title is that when outsiders come in, she's going to be coming uh, into relationship with God through her relationship with Boaz. And how that happens for us today is that oftentimes, if you really think about it, how you came into a relationship with God and how you came into a deeper awareness of the gospel, it's through another human being. That, that is, in essence, your, your purpose as a human being. And I know, this is, I know this is sort of crazy to think about. I'm not saying that you can be God in other people's life. That's not what I'm saying. What I think this scripture teaches is that God definitely wants to mediate himself through you. And that's your calling. That we are, we are here on this planet so that God can flow through us for blessing others. So that you can begin to understand that I actually, I actually am favored. That when God looks on me, he really is delighted. And I didn't do anything to deserve that. At the root of a human being, that, that's what controls everything. That's what is the center of everything. That's what, that's what needs to be remedied and redeemed in order for us to be those who give eternal life to those whom we're around. This is what's happening in this story. Everything changed on a dime when Boaz got into Ruth's life and it does not stop there. It morphs into Naomi's life. And here's how I want you to think about uh, yourself. You know, we, we've uh, oftentimes in our denomination, we use the phrase means of grace. And a, mean, a means of grace is an avenue through which God makes him, himself known to you, specifically his love and his grace. And what I want you to begin to believe about yourself is that you, you are a means of grace for the sake of everyone that you come into contact with. And it's not like, that, man, that's a lot of pressure. I think if you really, really think about it, that's what you want deep down. That you want to convey the, the love of God to any person you come into contact with. And the reason why is because you are his image. That's your design. That's where you will find yourself most satisfied. That's where you will find yourself most at rest when you sing out, when we, when we bless one another, when we listen. And we're going to talk about what that, uh, what that means. And, you know, I think about Boaz. We can look at Boaz uh, and think, man, I, I'm not that, 
that generous, but I get the sense here in this story, it is a love story to a certain degree, but I get the sense that Boaz, when she entered his field, he was like, this is, this is my destiny. I'm moving towards her because I can't not. It was a, it was a calling on his life. And the reason why I'm saying that is almost every commentator says in verse, verse 3, it says, Ruth just happened to come into the part of the field belonging to Boaz. In the Hebrew, it says, her chance chanced upon his field. <laughs> just happened. Just so happened. It's like, well, there's more going on than chance. And what commentators have said about this story is that the deeper, the deeper narrative is that God is weaving the gospel into everyday life. And what he does, just like at baptism, he's pouring his hesed back into the world through, through human beings. And you can be a part of that if you want. That's an invitation. And that there's the, the beautiful part about this story, y'all, is like every other place in Scripture, aside from maybe the book of Daniel, like there... They aren't great people. But like Ruth and Boaz, they don't do anything wrong. Like they're good, they're good people to emulate. And that's very unique aside from Jesus in, in all of Scripture. And the reason why I think is because I, I believe that they are showing us this great allegiance and alliance which once belonged to men and women. Where there was no sin. There was no dominance, there was no manipulation, there was no hurt. And when we come back together again, driven by the grace and favor of God, it looks like God in the world when men and women come together. That's what's happening with Ruth and Boaz. Now, on the ground level, how did that transpire? Well, he, it's, it's simple. In essence, he obeyed the law of God. He didn't glean all the way up to the edge of his field. Leviticus 23.22 says, When you reap a harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge, nor shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest, but you shall leave some for the poor and for the sojourner. And in Deuteronomy 10.19 it says that the reason you are supposed to love the sojourner is because you too were once a sojourner when you came out of Egypt. Remember where you came from. And that everything is grace. Now, I want to get uh, very practical right now. And I want to do something that uh, requires your imagination, okay? I want you to imagine your life as a, as a field. And there are certain people in your field right now. And I want you, I, this may be a little weird, uh, I, want you, I, want you to no, I want you to notice them for a moment. Who's in your field? Now, this is not a question to induce guilt, but I want you to think of it in terms of a calling that maybe the, the Spirit of God, and if you don't believe in God, something's driving you to a particular area. And to a particular person, ask this question. What are you being called to notice and to give away? A deeper question. What if God is calling you 
to mediate him, himself through you to that person. Look, y'all, you've been given things in this life. Some of its, some of its resources, like what Boaz had, or it, could, it very well could be your attention, your space, your time, your social life. Are, are there areas in your life where you are gleaning all the way up to the edge of your field and you know that you don't have to? And God is inviting us to think differently about how he provides. I was taking a walk this week with somebody in my family who needed to take a walk. And it made me feel like I was behind on work. Actually, feel like I was behind on writing this sermon. And uh, after the walk, I was walking by my neighbor's house, my neighbor Vaughn, and uh, he said, how are you doing? And I was like, you know, man, I'm a little anxious because I, I felt like I needed to spend the morning writing my sermon, and so I, I'm, now I'm behind. And he's like, you know, Matt, you're not going to get to the end of your life. This is, you know, this is when an outsider teaches an insider of the gospel. He said, uh, you're not going to get to the end of your life on your deathbed and think, man, I wish I had write, written a better sermon. Um, you're going to be thankful you took that walk. And I don't have to get to the end of my life. He's right. I was trying to glean all the way up to the edge of my field, when I didn't have to. And what drives that hamster wheel in all of us that we got we to get to it, we got we to make sure, you know, we perform, is the fact that we don't, we don't actually, in our hearts, when we're, when we're driven that way, we don't actually think we have the favor of God. I think I got to earn it. That I got to get to it. It's a, it's a failure to believe that God's pleased and that you can rest. And so don't glean all the way up to the edge of the field. <laughs> it's okay. God's going to take care of you. Through his provision, you get transformed. Um, Tim, you know, Tim Keller, I went, was skiing with his son once, Michael. And Michael told me, he's like, you know, my dad lives by the 90-10 rule. And he gives, uh, so he sells all these books and he gives 90% of his money away. And uh, he's like, and I, to be honest, I'm not happy about it because he's given away my inheritance. And I live in New York, and it's, it's expensive. <laughs> and what he was doing, he, you know, Tim Keller was not gleaning all the way up to the edge of his field, even for the sake of providing for his family. Y'all, this, I mean, even non-Christians know this. Um, and it's beautiful when you see this is the, the ripple effect of the gospel in community and into the world when we are actually, as a, a whole community, not gleaning up to the edge of our field, we see that it's good for society, and anybody can see it. One of the head executives of, of Facebook, and this guy was from Sri Lanka, so his name's hard to p- pronounce, but it's Chamat Paliapatiya. He's famous for being an extravagant tipper. He's a billionaire, owns portion of the Warriors, owns this company called Social Capital, but he always, when he goes to a restaurant, he tips at least twice the amount of the bill and sometimes three or four times. And he said, as he was explaining, this is why I do it. He's like, it does make me happy. But the reason, the main reason why I do it is to see the transformational power of overabundant generosity. Not a Christian, but showing us the gospel. And many of you here in this room 
This is what this is what you do when you take in a foster child and an adopted child. So many of you have felt called to that and is such a great picture of what the Lord has done in your own heart. And you know it. I've heard you say it that this the way in which we're blessing this child is actually more it's more blessing us because I'm reminded that I too am adopted into the family of God. That this this is all of our plights. Again, this is the gospel's ripple effect when we exude grace and favor to one another, which is what Boaz does with Ruth. And Ruth is showing us the transforming power of of God and how she humbles herself. But this is what often happens when when an outsider comes into the community of God. What happens is that the insiders, it's almost like we get converted again. And that's exactly what happens in our text, that God's favor of Ruth actually begins to transform Naomi. Starting in verse 17, Ruth comes back with a load of barley and it's 22 liters, which for us Americans, that's about 50 pounds. It's the same amount that David took to his brothers when they were in a battle. The point is, it's a lot of barley, like more than you need. And... Uh, When Naomi sees this, she says, in verse 20, Blessed is the man who took notice of you. And Ruth said, well, it was a guy named Boaz. And Naomi begins to see it at that point, and this totally changes the trajectory of her life. Boaz is of the clan of her late husband Elimelech, and from here on in the story, this is what's happening in Naomi's life. She begins to get filled back up. Remember, she went away empty. She came back to Bethlehem empty, And she's beginning to be filled back up through Ruth's favor from Boaz. And y'all, that's that's the purpose of how we ought to view our life. That when when circumstances are the bleakest, um, we ought to always remember, this has always been God's plan A for us. That he's driving us to a place of, of emptiness in a certain degree because... He wants to fill us back up so that we remember it's all grace. It's all God's favor. And we're called to be attentive to the way that God works behind the scenes. There's a um, children's catechism question that says, can you see God? Can you see God? And the answer is, no, but he always sees me. And that's what's happening in our story And the moments when we need to trust that are when circumstances are the bleakest. So look, right now, I I want you to think about uh, the abundance that you possess. You don't have to be a Christian to think about this. You don't have to have an amazing amount of resources. You're here in this room that we have this moment, let's think, okay? We want to encounter God. God has given you extra in some, in some arena. And most likely, it is a particular way in which you have suffered. You have an overabundance of something. Brain power, patience, technological advancement, strength, 
you know your muscles, high schoolers, I work out at the Coppell YMCA, and I'm always watching these high schoolers, like, you know, flex in the mirror. Like, your muscles are actually meant for the benefit of the world, not just to look at in a mirror, you know. Um, that's how a Christian thinks. You know that this is good for the world. What do you possess in abundance for the sake of others? When you, when you give that away, you guys, you come into the awareness that God favors you when you don't glean all the way up to the field. And often when hardships come into your life, we are more like Naomi. We, we struggle with bitterness and we can't see our way out. But when, when we see that God so clearly provides at the very last minute, when we didn't have a chance, then we actually have an opportunity for ourselves, we ourselves to be transformed by the gospel. To actually change so that we can face the next hardship in a different way. This is what happened to Naomi through Ruth and Boaz, but it was really God all along saying to Naomi, hey, let's, let's start fresh. Let's start over. How do you think I see you? And behind the dark cloud, as him say, uh, you will eventually find God's smiling face. And this is not the end of Naomi's story. It's heading, the future is bright. Naomi was beginning to see, as one commentator says, that the Lord was not out to get her. That's, that's really challenging to believe sometimes. That the Lord is not out to get you. Look, y'all, God, God provides, and through that provision, he transforms, and that happens through relationships. That's mediated through each other. And the question that I want to leave you with today, not in some sort of legalistic way, um, do you want to get in on that? Do you want to get in on that? I mean, he's going to do his thing without us, with or without us. I want to get in on that. Like Ruth and Boaz. Ruth and, Ruth and Boaz give us Jesus. They look like Jesus. You can look like Jesus too. Let's pray. Father, um, we ask that as we confess sin and we hear your assurance of forgiveness, that we would remember that we were so, so very poor and you made us rich in Jesus Christ. And the point of our lives is not our successes or our failures, but the point of our life is for you to move through us and to bless the world. And so, Lord, would we get in on that as we confess, as we come to this table. In Christ's name, amen.